I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into them. Center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. After a extended hiatus, we are back, uh, and because we've been away a while, we thought we'd do something special for the return episode. So we have invited to episode sixty-eight of Stoke the Fire the very first ever guest who joined us all the way back on, I believe, episode four of the show. I think we had the opening trilogy, and then we had the gentleman, the scholar, Father Maximus McIntyre, as our very first ever guest. Jesse, Maximus, what an absolute treat and a pleasure to see you both. Oh, Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, likewise. I'm looking forward to this when I found out that here. Father Maximus is coming back on, and I hadn't even talked to you in a while, so it's, this is such a treat for me, so I'm stoked. Oh, yeah, just to you. give you some context, Maximus, Jesse and I, although we've engaged via text and Instagram here and there, we haven't had a proper chat, I think, since the last episode we did. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a while then. Yeah, so we, we've become a little bit estranged in our busy <laughs> lives. So this is this is a full on catch up, not just with you, but with each other as well. So, yeah, it's going to be ace. First thing I want to comment on, Jesse, have you grown your hair back on the sides? Yeah, it's growing in. I know I look so different. It's like, who am I? Yeah, this is this is the longest it's been in years, years. So I'm doing the whole slick back, grow it out. And, you know, my mullet's getting longer and longer. Nice. I'm I'm not on the road i'm not in front of a camera most of the time so i'm just kind of letting it all grow no i think it suits you it's very pattern-esque oh i like that i'll take that <laughs> could you do me a favor jesse could you turn your um, microphone down ever so slightly it's peaking. How's, how's this i think because you've got the quiet headphones on it maybe seems yeah. quiet in your ears but uh if you want to just turn your your headphones up but yeah bring the um bring the mic level down a little bit but yeah just wanted to say that right out the gate and Maximus, don't think I don't think you look handsome. I think this is the first time <laughs> I've seen you without your hat. So you're you're bearing your lovely locks on today's show as well. I bet you wish we had video now, don't you guys? All this hair talk. And I'm going gray big time this year. It's finally no, really coming in. You, you're becoming a distinguished, you know, elder. Old man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gray, but I always wear a hat to cover mine. So yeah, in denial perhaps there. So um Okay, I'm going to just throw this out there. Jesse, a while back, you can choose how much you want to go into what you said, but you told me that you reached out to Maximus in a moment of crisis, and he came and and answered the call um, with some really profound and and wonderful words of wisdom. I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about where you were at when you did reach out to Maximus and then, you know, what his response was, and then we can 
you know, jump in and go from there because Maximus also um, reached out to us on the, I think it was the Facebook page, right, Maximus? Yeah, I did, actually. Yeah, and he kind of checked in with us as well and said, you know, I've not been doing great myself. And I can't remember which episode it was that Jesse and I did, but we'll we'll get to that in a moment. But yeah, it seems yeah. like there's a lot of, um, you know, well, let, let, the, let the therapy session commence, Jesse. Yeah, no, so... This is good. I mean, to me, it's first of all, I want to say a proper thank you to Father Maximus for extending himself and taking the time to respond to me with a six page letter, uh, email letter, rather, um, that really not only answered my questions and gave me some comfort and some wisdom and some insight, but sort of pointed me in the right direction and, and reignited certain things that sort of I have kind of known about in my spiritual walk, but the way he worded it and laid it out just was so easily digestible to me uh, and came from a real place of concern. And um, it's just refreshing for me and it helped a lot. So without getting into the details of it, just going through a hard time dealing with loss, um, being surrounded by um, pain, I think being triggered by the past as well. A lot of things were coming up and, I knew that there were energies around me. It was something that was outside myself. I know that for sure now, especially looking back and thankfully being past that point. But I think a lot of people may not acknowledge the fact that sometimes what's going on in your life may not be just because you've got a disorder of the mind or you're dealing with mental health issues or whatever. There are, in fact, energies and spirits around us that can affect us and manipulate us and prey on us when we're in our dark times. I do believe that. Uh, and that happened to me. I definitely was dealing with something outside of myself. And um, I reached out to him because I know he's dealt with these types of things before. And thankfully, within, I'd want to say a couple of weeks or so of just being diligent with, you know, being mindful of what I'm surrounding myself with being mindful of how much I'm consuming with alcohol, my vices, um, being mindful of my prayer and putting out compassionate and thoughtful energy to people that are surrounding me, this whole laundry list of things. And he really helped guide me with just that six page letter. Um, and it opened my eyes to realize that I've got to be more mindful of the way that I carry myself and being sort of more of a spiritual war warrior, because as Father Maximus said in the letter, when you're somebody who puts off compassion for other humans, when you're somebody who's working actively to be of service to people, you're going to get attacked by spiritual forces. It's going to happen. So being prepared for that, being aware of it is half the battle. So yeah, that's pretty much what it is in a nutshell, but I, I give him full credit. You know, I have a lot of people I could reach out to, but something told me to reach out to Father Maximus and the response was, accurate wise and uh really empowered me so thank you for that of course but i have to also admit that i can't take really the credit for it because i'm using um the tradition of our spirituality and trying to impart that to you so it's not my my own words um i want to say i'm organizing and regurgitating what i've learned um what's helped me um through the 2000 year tradition of our church and the spiritual mothers and fathers of the desert um, all these wonderful saints that we have as examples, and we can read their lives. And that's what I was trying to hopefully impart a little bit of that in you, because I knew that you were being attacked. Um, it seemed to me it was much more just like a mental health thing, as you mentioned. 
Um, and they do have this wisdom because they've, they've basically gone hand to hand combat with some of these forces, some of these, these monks, and they know this road uh, diligently. And for us in the world, even though we may not be monastics, we're still subject to those same forces. So we can use their wisdom. Uh, they battle this stuff every waking moment of their lives. That's what they were dedicated to do. They were dedicated to prayer. So I really can't take credit. Um, it's really the, the fathers and mothers of our tradition that have passed this wisdom down to us. And now you have some of it. And you know that's what we try to instill in the church is not our own, um, I guess, understanding, but this wonderful understanding has been revealed, we believe, through God, through his people that love others. Love it. Humility as well, my friend. Beautiful. I thing. try. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm prideful still. I got to work on it, but humility is definitely a virtue we all need. <laughs> yeah. So what's been happening in your world, Maximus? Where, where have you been at? What's, what's been going on? Well, one of the things I thought was really odd when Jesse reached out to me, um, I had mentioned this to him in, in the letter. I was actually crafting a letter to him during this time. So I thought that was kind of bizarre. I mean, I don't like to get too lofty and majestic about stuff, but I thought that was interesting that I was also writing him about some things. Um, it was because I was actually going through a, a, a very dark time. Um, I'd say from probably last Thanksgiving to probably about a month ago, it's been a long wow. five, six months of uh, personal health issues, some medical issues, which I'm not used to. Um, I think, you know, some darkness, you know, you have some, depression and things like that that kick up from time to time, whether it's situational or just the way I am. And also, um, you know, the dark forces that we deal with as priests and things helping others. So it's kind of like a, a different assault on me. Um, but I was kind of coming through it and I wanted to share something with Jesse and I never really finished the letter. I just had a hard time doing it. Um, usually I can put things on paper pretty easily, but it was very, very difficult for me. Um, it kind of all came to a head around, I'd say like Christmas time. And I learned something very special that opened my eyes. Um, and believe it or not, this was at a Kill Switch Engage show, the, the Holiday Rager. So mm. I learned a spiritual lesson at the Kill Switch show. Not just a, so, a Kill Switch show, but the Holiday Rager. No, the Holiday <laughs> Rager. <laughs> <laughs> very on brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to actually kind of share that with him because um, I have to admit, you know, for the sake of being open and honest, it was very, very dark for me. Um, just everything was going wrong. And I was very excited because um, for Christmas, I bought my son, uh, he's 11 now, tickets to the Holiday Rager so we could go to see Killswitch at the Palladium in Worcester. We live only about 15 minutes from there. And you know, I was excited about that, but I was still in that really dark place. And we got, you know, ready for the show that night. I think it was a Friday night. And um, most of the time in my cast, like, I try not to dress down too much. Even when I go to shows, I don't care. I mean, this is who I am. So I, I roll up to the Palladium and we go to go in the front door and, you know, our digital tickets aren't working. It's all kinds of craziness. So they have to send us back outside and they send us over to the little um, like ticket window outside on the street. And as we were going there, a guy behind us says, Hey, look, it's a child effort because I had my son with me. F word. So, so, I mean, quite, quite honestly, you know, the way I am even 10 years ago, I probably put a good dent in the guy's forehead and stomped him out. That's <laughs> the way I, you know, I'm sorry, but that's the way I was. <laughs> but quite honestly, it, it was a revelation to me because I was really kind of even questioning my, 
my own role in, in helping others and things like that, I, I felt like maybe I'm not capable. And in that moment, I realized something though. Um, what I just mentioned, kind of half joking about, you know, I would have punched him 10 years ago. It realized that I have made progress, whether I realize it or not, as a priest and in the spiritual life, that I do have some type of peace. And I'm trying to project that to the world because I did not react. I did not respond. And I did not hold resentment. I simply, mm. you know, we got our tickets squared away. I turned around. And I did not engage. And I think when he saw me, when I turned around, he's kind of a small little pipsqueak guy. And he saw that I was, you know, big bearded guy, about 310 pounds. And he was like, <laughs> maybe I should have said it to that guy. But I didn't even say anything. And it was amazing that um, something, I've had interactions like that before where people have said things, uh, but never around my child. Oh. And that's, that feels different. And I was happy that I did not respond. And instead, kind of, I didn't say it out loud in my mind. I said, you know, Father, forgive me. He knows not what he does. Kind of like Jesus said on the cross when they're crucifying him. Maybe he had a bad experience with clergy or something. He could be going something through something I don't know. Maybe the guy's just a jerk. I don't know. <laughs> but it was, it kind of took me out of that funk for a couple of days because I realized, even though I don't feel sometimes the grace that we talk about, I realized that I am becoming a different person in Christ through my journey because I would have not handled that circumstance very good 10 years ago, even or 15 years ago. Mm. Uh, so it was, it was an eye-opening experience for me um, to go through that because it's been a while since I've been called something like that in public. Um, and I'm not looking for, you know, praise or like, Oh, I'm glad you didn't punch him or anything like that. It just, I, I really felt that was, I, I felt some hope at that point. Like, okay, there is changes going on with me. I'm not the same person. I have to continue down that road and, and continue to try to foster love and hope and all these things. And those are the things that we really get tried on. It's not like the big things. It's the little tests in daily life where I could have failed that in one second. If God knows what would have happened. I mean, if I had struck the man, I mean, I could be suspended from the priesthood, you know, something crazy like that. So, um, and then somehow I let it go. We went in the show and it didn't even bother me at that mm. point. I let it go. And I got to say, what an incredible time that was. That place was packed. The set was off, off charts on earth was incredible. It was just a wonderful night. And it was awesome to spend it with my kid, you know, especially going through all that darkness. And he was having a tough time then too. And we just had a, an amazing time. It was so much fun going to the holiday rager. And, you know, I learned a lot, like I said, that night, um, a little bit about myself and, you know, how I reacted to a certain circumstance. Hmm. I think oftentimes it's it's the things that we don't do that define us as opposed to what we actively do. And I think having self-control is huge. And also realizing that a lot of the times when people come at you like that, it has nothing to do with you. It's all it has everything to do with them. And I, I see that with my insecurities. Um, you know, when I question myself, because I'm sure everybody can relate, you all go through a time in your life where you're unsure if you're in the right position, if you're doing what you're meant to be doing. Uh, and those insecurities can stir up thoughts and it's a matter of checking yourself and realizing your place in the universe, your place in people's lives, and then how you view yourself. And I like that you saw that growth. I like that you acknowledge the fact that you are a different person than you were 10 years ago. I can say the same thing about myself, but it doesn't mean you're not going to continue to go through struggles and trials and tribulations. It's a matter of getting through it and then looking back and sort of remembering that that moment and sort of not patting yourself on the back, but 
you know, being kind to yourself and, and realizing that life is a journey and you're not going to be perfect just because you're a holy man, a priest, or, you know, what people view you as um, outside of people who say shit like that to you. But that's got to be rough, especially in front of your kid, man. That's That would be hard for me as well. It's one thing for you to take it on yourself. It's another thing when your kid hears it and it's like, what an asshole, man, honestly. <laughs> shit. <laughs> Yeah, I think when when gigs are in effect, it brings out the best and the worst in people because it's a boisterous environment. And I think when we're in large crowds and we're excited, you do often see people sometimes express that excitement in ways that they think is, you know, jovial. But it's like, no, man, there's a line. And recently I was at a gig and it was my friends, the Dolly Rots, and there's a female singer. And... um in a quiet moment in between songs, this guy in the crowd shouted out something really misogynistic and sexist and inappropriate. And it's like, it's these people who have no social awareness and they can't read the room. And in their mind, they probably think like that guy may have just thought he was being hilarious, right? He might've not even thought what he said was unkind. He's just like, ha ha ha. Aren't I funny? And you're like, well, no, actually that's, that's not funny at all. Um, and it's a bum out. Um, but yeah, I think um, when you are with your child, you have to show an example of how to behave in that situation, right? And if you had lost it, as you, I think, would have rightly, with with it would have been in within your rights too. That then shows your kid that well, then that's what you do in that situation, and that's obviously the opposite of what you want to teach and and show them. Yeah. And then it's funny after you go through the door, it's like with your tribe with your family and then i'm getting hugs like i found lots of people that i knew because like, you know i've been in the scene for over 30 years so if i go to a show i'm definitely gonna bump into people i know and you know and it being really cool you know just having a drink with an old buddy and you know seeing guys i may haven't seen in a year or two you know it seems like everybody showed up for that show it was really yeah cool. com- community is everything man and that's another thing i got to say on, on top of everything that you were talking about so far is having community you know, like when I was going through my rough patch, I have people around me I can talk to. I have, you know, ways to vent it out, you know, and that's important. It's important to be able to have people within your reach that can sort of help you navigate, you know, because you it's easy to lose yourself and people who can remind you of who you are. And I think that's important as well. And then that's not ego. That's just support. That's that's um, self-actualization, and I think that's really important as well. So that's I love that Killswitch is able to provide that because to <laughs> us, well, to us as a band, that's what it's all about. You know, we're, we've always been about our fans. We've because it's without our community, without our fans, we're nothing. We're just a, a bunch of guys playing music. So the vibe we put out is that vibe. So I love to hear that when people walk in. It, you know, call it what you will. Just when you come to a Killswitch show, you are welcome. Like we want everybody to have a good time. So that's a beautiful thing. And you made that, that point that night. I remember because um, in the pit was a little something going on and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no fighting at kill switch shows. And you call them out. I remember that. And I was like, that's really cool. You know, cause it is, it's, you know, like I took my son to see hate breed last year. That's a totally different vibe. <laughs> I love hate breed shows, <laughs> yeah. but it's gonna be half fun and half guys just beating each other. And you know, that's a different thing, but um, at all the Killswitch shows, um, I brought my son. I mean, it's been four or five now since the pandemic end, ended. We've gone uh, to the Lamb of God show, uh, Slipknot, August Burns Red, all those different ones in Boston and stuff. And it's a different thing. Like you guys are 
positive dudes that are putting that out there. And it's, you know, no, you're not pretentious. You guys are just having fun. And you're, it's like, it's like a small VFW show. It's what it feels like, even though it's like a big theater or something like this. You're, everybody's part of the show. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's having fun. Um, mm-hmm. It's a different thing that I've seen from a lot of the other bands that I've gone to. Um, there's other bands I love, but you know, like, all right, for this, I'm not going to go closer up to the stage. This is going to be a little too crazy, things like that, where it's like, it seems like everybody's just like chilling at a Killswitch show, just, you know, good vibes. And the other thing I think is hilarious when I bring him uh, to shows, because he's only 11, I don't know, my single brother's out there, you might want to borrow him as a wingman because all the ladies come up to him. They're like, <laughs> they see the little kid and they're like, they come up to him like, oh, you know, is this your first show? And he's like, no, I've been to lots of shows. And he like talks to him and, you know, they're like, do you know Killswitch songs? He's like, heck yeah. And he's like, name off all his favorite tunes and stuff. And, you know, they were surprised like at the Lamb of God show, they knew all the Lamb of God songs and stuff. And um, the people are just really, really cool that you interact with, even just like wh- where you're sitting or standing and stuff. You know, it's always been a pretty, uh, pretty good time for us. You know, it always was for me growing up. So that's why I don't mind taking them at a young age. Mm-hmm. It's always been a positive thing in my life. And I want to show him the right way, not only um, you know, spiritually speaking, but in his interest in the things that he should get involved with and mm-hmm. music and those things that he loves. And, um, you know, he has uh, some, some medical issues and some things like that. He's a, a patient at Boston's Children's and he has it tough sometimes. And sometimes you can't even take him to like a movie because it's too loud and it freaks him out and things like that. But if you bring him to a hardcore show, he's with his tribe. He loves it. And he doesn't, he's just in there. Um, it was funny. We went a couple months ago to see one of our favorite bands out of Philly. Uh, they're a band called Varials. Um, they're a medical, medical band that started about 10 years ago. And I had a laugh because uh, you know, he's 11, so he's shorter. It's hard for him to see. So we always try to find some place where he can see the band. And that was the first time he said, dad, I want to go up to the pit. <laughs> and I was like, I guess I'm on pit duty tonight as a dad. Let's do it. <laughs> so we went up front. Uh, we were down at the Webster Theater in Hartford, Connecticut uh, a couple months back. And it was awesome. He had a great time. I saw him, you know, the first time I seen him, like finger pointing, singing along, trying to get in there in the front. I'm like, this is amazing. Like to see him doing this stuff. And he's, you know, taking pictures with his phone of his band, the band, because he loves them and stuff. So it's been uh, really cool, you know, since everything opened up post-COVID um, to kind of fuel that, that he loves to take, take him to shows where, you know, I can't really drop him off yet. Maybe another two years or something like that when he's like 13. Um, but he still thinks I'm cool now. He's going to boot me to the curb. I'm sure in two years with his buddies when they want to do themselves. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take it for now. But yeah, we've just been trying to take in as many shows as we can of, of the bands we love. That's what happens, isn't it? When people hit sort of 13, I was chatting to my friend about <laughs> this. It's like, they want to hold your hand every step of the way to that one day when all of a sudden it's like, I don't want to hold your hand. That's cramping my style. <laughs> It must be such a hard thing for a parent to accept that that's just part of the growth and not take it personally. And yeah, what a, that's a big moment on the horizon, as you say, oh, it's yeah. going to be here before you know it. He thinks I'm cool too, because he's starting to get into music more and he's playing guitar, drums, all that stuff still. And um, he's starting to play the guitar a little bit more. And dad can go down on the drum set and do some blast beats for him and stuff still. I can still do all that. So <laughs> <laughs> I could do that for him while he's, you know, rocking out with his buddies or whatever. And uh, you know, they're trying to get a little band off the ground. So it's, it's cool to see that at such a young age, you know, the kids getting into the music and I want to foster that and, and help them in that, that mission. Well, you, you know, it's, it's so unique. Cause you know, I've been around clergy my whole life, my dad being a minister 
And you are a rare breed, my friend. I, you know, a, 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 a priest who can play blast beats. That's pretty amazing. Um, but what I got to ask is this, you know, as you go through your trials and tribulations, you know, because most people don't look at clergy or, you know, priests or pastors as people who have issues. But when you are talking about dealing with people's issues, there is such a energy that surrounds that. Um, when you're people confide in you, they tell you things they don't tell anyone else. Um, that's part of your job, helping people to navigate their spirituality. That's got to take its toll on you. Um, and how does that affect you? And how does it affect your relationship with your son and the way that you see the world and what's going on around us? Like the big picture, how have you been able to navigate out of those dark spaces and what being a priest, how does that like just affect you in general? Well, I've been a priest since 2007, and early on, especially when I started, I didn't have a way to deal with this. I, I really didn't understand. Um, I wasn't even giving my time to like de-stress or you know uh, go on retreat, you know, because I work a regular job as well and then have the ministry. So I wasn't resetting myself. I wasn't confiding in others, and I started to feel probably around 2011, 2012, uh, probably would be considered like burnout, clergy burnout, and. I found uh, an awesome priest in Rhode Island uh, that I became good friends with. And he told me, he's like, priests need priests. Um, a like lot of therapists people need therapists, right? It's the same, exactly. same rule applies. Same, same thing. You got to have uh, confide in your, your brothers and, and use them and their experiences, their wisdom, uh, a shoulder to cry on, even whatever you need. Um, and that, that really stuck with me. His name is uh, Father Anthony Perkins. I want to give him a little shout out great, great man down South. Now he moved from Rhode Island back to Georgia where he's from. Um, but he taught me a lot about that. And it was kind of the first time probably in my life, honestly, that I really opened up to people um, about any struggles that I was having or just the stress of dealing with other people's problems. Because not only the spiritual direction, but, you know, clergy are really first responders for mental health crisis situations. So we have that. You have people that are going through poverty that are looking for your help. Um, you know, just all sorts of circumstances, job loss, any, any type of trauma, um, you name it. So talking through that with other people that minister was very, very helpful. And then finding um, a good, like spiritual, uh, we call them spiritual fathers or a spiritual director. Um, he reposed a few years ago, but now I have another one who's wonderful, a monk. Um, and just talking with them through all of their experiences, because they've been clergy a lot longer than I have been. And they've kind of seen it. I won't say they've seen it all, but they've seen a lot. And you know, making sure that my prayer life, because that's my first role as a priest is to be a man of prayer. So if it affects my prayer, then I know something's off. I have to get back into prayer. Um, I got to make sure I don't close myself off from others and be open with my struggles, which quite honestly, sometimes I, I do bottle it up and I don't like to burden other people and things like that. But I do realize that it's very, very important. And I've been trying to um, the last several years anyways, um, you know, nip anything in the bud that I see surfacing that's that's problematic. That's the trick, isn't it? Is is the recognition and self awareness early on, and then, as you say, the ability in yourself to not hold on to it, but to confide in others. And it's funny because doing this show over the last—I mean, what are we are we on coming up on three years now, Jesse? It must be right. Yeah, because we started in 2020. Wow. Wow. The conversations that have taken place on this show have opened my eyes to so much. And, you know, it's so lovely to see 
friendships that have come out of of the little you know circle of of guests that we've had on even and the kind of you know the interconnectivity there and i just think it's so cool as we sit here and talk today like to have a person that we had on as our first guest who's you know become a a dear friend and and just to be able to sit down and, and communicate like this uh, and have it just feel like you know real friends catching up it's quite a rare thing in the podcast landscape i think um and it's really cool to to know that in Jesse's hardest kind of time and, and in yours, both of you were thinking of each other at the same time. It's really strange. As a know, result of one interview on a, a Zoom chat, right? Yeah, it's just amazing how uh, uh, just a conversation like that can turn to something where you feel connected to another person where you feel you can reach out to them. It's very, very cool. And it's like when you guys invited me down to um, the event in New York City last year. I mean, I've been thinking was, about that a lot recently. That was what awesome. I I mean, I, I got there early and I get a minute, I was a little nervous. I mean, this is, I'm not really um, a public speaker. I don't, you know, I'm not really one to put myself out there too, too much. So I was a little nervous. And then I, I sit down, I'm waiting. And then uh, Jesse Hubbard, one of your guests walks in with his wife. And he comes up and he gives me a hug and we shake hands and we're talking and awesome guy. So cool. We've, we've kept up since then. We've become friends on social media. He had me on his podcast about three, four weeks ago. I love it. You've been um, on there. Great. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like, it's just cool. Like you just meet these people, uh, you know, through the podcast and, you know, that'll be a relationship, you know, that we'll have now. And, you know, hopefully one of these days we can get to a show together. We were talking about that before we recorded the podcast, you know, then we can meet somewhere halfway and go to see, see a band, uh, something like that. And, um, you know, just, I've even heard from some people, uh, your listeners, uh, that have heard the podcast and reached out maybe with a question or, or concern or something they're going through. So that's very important too. Um, the fact that your your listeners are engaged, they're part of the family too. It's not just the guests and the hosts. It's everybody that subscribes to this ideal that we're all in this together. I mean, none of us are alone. This is a community. Mm. And that's why when you first started this, I was so adamant about writing out because it was different than the other podcasts that I had seen. Or you know, I've been asked to go on a lot of TV shows and stuff. I have no, I don't really care about that stuff. A lot of it's fake. Um, this was authentic. And it seemed like you were doing something that could possibly help others and you were sincere. And I thought that was so cool. And that's what it's been ever since. That's why I enjoy listening to the episodes or when we did the live event, it was so cool to come down and, you know, meet different people. And um, even some of your guests at the live show came and, and confided in me uh, on the side, you know, during, during the time we were there, it was pretty cool. That's um, awesome. It was awesome. Well, I think when you open up that door to people, uh, there's a, everybody's in need somehow whether it's a need for a community and a connection or a spiritual need you know i think a lot of people don't realize how the spiritual world can affect them um and i love that you talked about the live podcast because i think that if nothing else that's the one thing that i wish and sort of outwardly will say now i wish that matt and i live closer because i feel like if we were able to get bodies in the same room it would really create a different environment. We're doing great for what we've got with the Zoom, but I think this podcast really sees its true potential when it's bodies near each other, when we're in the same room. And I think that night really made me realize how important that is. And it's difficult because of the schedules that we keep, but there was a, a really a culmination of energies that night that gave me a sense of purpose and what you're talking about with this podcast. And that purpose is important. And I think that purpose is important for everybody. Matt and I have talked about this where he goes out and he DJs and he hosts and he's, 
really working to figure out who he is in this world. And I'm sure you've gone with that with yourself, with, with, you know, your, your ministry or what you do as a job or what you do as a father. So purpose has become something that's popped up a lot in my life lately. So maybe you could speak to purpose as it serves as a person of God, you know, like how do you, how does God tell us what, what, from your experience, from who you are, what's your perspective on purpose, a purpose-filled life? I think purpose outside of work as well, because so much of my purpose comes from my work and it's rewarding mm -hmm. and I love it. Mm -hmm. But I often think, as I've toyed with the idea of doing different things in recent times, it's like, wh where would the purpose then come from? Um, because so many people, I think, only get purpose from either their careers or their romantic relationships. They seem to be the two main things, right? Is you put everything in this relationship or everything in your job, but there has to be so much more to life and the bigger picture, right? I, I totally agree with that. I think from my own journey, I think when I, when I realized probably more around the early 2000s, um, I was no different. I mean, I'm still no different than anybody else, but, you know, I was a typical guy. I was, you know, out there doing dude things and, you know, fighting all the time and drinking and, you know, you sound like a right brawler back in the day, Maximus. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a bad guy, but you know, I was in the mix. <laughs> and, you know, stuff started to click, um, you know, not to go back to the first episode, but you know, my experiences with Ed and Lorraine Warren and John Zappas and that stuff, it started to open my eyes to a different reality that's just below the surface. And I really felt no matter what it was, I just wanted to find my niche in like help people. I didn't know what it was at the time. It was certainly through the, the paranormal stuff, but I started volunteering like with uh, respite work and hospice care and stuff like that. Um, getting involved in ministry and, and things of that nature, just trying to be uh, of service to others in the spirit of, of love. Um, you know, I've, hit many dead ends and I've certainly failed many times, but I feel that's the only reason why you should really become probably a clergyman in the first place is it's not for your own benefit per se. It's not for money or anything like that. I can't stand all that televangelist nonsense and all the stuff we see that unfortunately gets pegged as Christianity per se, but it's not. Um, you are to be, if Christ was a servant and he was the master, then we're no better where to serve. And we're going to serve our brothers and sisters. Um, if we can't help them, say say someone's starving, and we can't feed them, then we can try to try to give them a word of comfort. If we can't uh, heal them per se, we can visit them and heal, you know, be with them when they're sick and uh, assist them. There's so many ways we can help people in our daily lives. And I think if we're of service to others, whatever our skills and gifts may be, if we can find out what they are and uh, use those talents, as you will, the, the, the talents that we have for the greater good of our, our brothers and sisters, that's really all that matters. Um, that's all I see is that's really, I think the core purpose of life period. That's, that's where I'm at in my mind. Um, you know, we can't do it all the time because obviously we have jobs and we have other responsibilities, but if we can try to make those moments in daily life, even um, conducive to showing love and kindness to our others, and then maybe they'll reciprocate that, or maybe they'll come to you in their time of need that's the greater purpose. I, I believe um, if I lose sight of that, then I better take off my cassock and cross because if it's any other motives, I think you're setting yourself up for a downfall. Um, you know, pride is, you know, we see it as what led the demons to the fall. So if it's going to lead them to the fall, it's going to lead us to, uh, you know, really fall from, from what we're supposed to do in our lives. Um, 
myself now I'm, I'm trying my best um, in my small parish to, to nurture the folks that I have there, those that are outside of the parish that I tend to, and still doing, you know, hospital visits and things like that as necessary. And still obviously the, the work that I deal with, um, with the preternatural, unfortunately, uh, that doesn't go away. Um, it's been a little quiet this year, which I'm, I'm thankful for, but um, there's just so many ways. And, you know, Jesse, I know you have a talent of being not only a vocalist, but outspoken on like mental health issues and you're a mental health advocate. And I think that's huge. And I respect that. And I, I hope that you continue that mission because you have a platform to get that voice out there. For someone like me, no one really knows who I am. And I can maybe do a, a few talks or things like this or preach or meet with people on an individual level. That's fine. But you have a big platform where you can uh, put this out there and there might be some kid that's thinking of hurting themselves or they're struggling with depression or alcoholism or something. It may be something you say in one of your interviews that you've dealt with mental health will help them. I know it helped me because that's how, you know, uh, you know, I, obviously I know your work from the time you were back in Corinne for crying out loud back in the nineties, but, you know, following you, especially like 2016, probably beyond when you came out more about your own struggles, it helped me because I have struggles too, as I alluded to at the beginning of the episode, episode, everybody does clergy have it as well. Um, you know, so I, I go through my periods where I have dark times and it's so important just to talk about it or, you know, if you have that voice and you're using it and it strikes a chord with somebody, um, you know, for instance, for me, one of the, one of the times I was struggling um, a lot, this is probably like maybe two years ago, I was going through a little period for a couple of weeks and nothing could really get through. It was just, it was like, I was like stone and I couldn't get that joy and that happiness, that love. I didn't feel anything. And actually it was listening to two songs in particular. It was embrace the journey. And I am broken too. Mm. Those, uh, for some reason, I will always go back to those if I'm having a tough day. I have certain songs that I really like to listen to. Of course, I use prayer. I use these things. I go on walks. But there's certain songs that really strike a chord with me. And I remember being brought to tears during that time, uh, listening to I am broken too, because it resonated with me as a clergyman that I'm broken. But that's going to help me help others that are broken as well. I'm no different. I'm in the trenches. I'm no better than anybody else. I can't offer anything else that anybody else can, but I know that I'm broken. I embrace it. And I'll use my struggles to identify with those that have struggles as well. Cause a lot of times, like you mentioned kind of earlier, people come to clergy and they think they have it all together all the time that they don't have sufferings and, and they're, they're in the mix too. So w when I heard that song that day, it clicked. I don't know why, because I had listened to the song, obviously, since it came out. I think it was 2019 you guys released it. But it just resonated finally. And I said, you know what? I've read books on being the wounded healer by Henry Nowen and like all these people about you know clergy that struggle, um, about the even Christ apostles who, you know, they were simple fishermen. They abandoned him. They ran out on him at the crucifixion. They were his disciples and they failed. And I realized it's okay to fail. It's okay to fall. That's human but I'm not going to let that define me. I'm going to get out of this. I'm not going to let the darkness embrace me. I'm going to put myself out and look for the light, the light of God. And that's where I'm going to be healed. But it really took that day and that it was funny, that song to really just kind of kick me in the ass to, to be, to be frank and to kind of wake me up out of that awful place I was at. Um, I'm honored. 
it's uh it's humbling because you know it's easy to lose sight of yourself when you get wrapped up in your own life and your own trials and tribulations and someone reminds you of something that you've done you know and that's huge for me so thank you so much for you know uh, like you said earlier it's it's not just me like i truly try my best to channel what i believe to be god coming through me with my words and my advocacy because that does give me a purpose much greater than you know simply having a career and being able to pay my bills and provide for my family um but uh i think it's a great message i think what you're saying is uh, people need to hear that you know people look at clergy they look at priests like i said earlier and showing your vulnerability is super important um to anybody listening right now you know we are all broken but you can find healing you can find comfort you just have to speak up you have to realize that there are people around you that will help and whether that's a, a priest or a therapist or your friend there's always someone there that will listen and help you through that tomorrow is always a new day it's undoubtedly is going to get better it may not seem like that with all the intrusive thoughts and the moment that you're in but the darkness will lift at some time um, but unfortunately, some people don't see that or they don't have the support system. So they, they have a hard time or they don't even know where to turn. They don't know how to, how to get to a therapist or maybe they can't confide in their parents or brother, sister, or friend. Maybe they're kind of isolated. So I really feel for those people too that want to get help, want to get better, but they're crippled and they don't know how to. And mm. just reach out, try to figure out who you can talk to. Um, don't let yourself sit in those circumstances too long it's just going to escalate and it's going to go off the rails in a lot of cases. And, you know, I try to tell a lot of people that I, I deal with that have uh, mental health issues um, that I serve as a confessor or a spiritual father for, if they're having a problem, I don't care if it's two in the morning, if you're going to harm yourself or, you know, something really serious is happening, just call me, text me. I don't care. You're not disturbing me. You know, if I'm at work, I don't care either. Just call me. You know, I don't want to see people uh, wallow in such suffering. And I think it was a good thing that I've experienced it a little bit off and on the last couple of years, because now I can relate more than ever where I really couldn't before. So now I know a little bit what they're going through. I've experienced it myself. And I mean, quite honestly, um, I knew we were probably going to get, we didn't really talk about what we're going to discuss today, but I knew we'd probably get on this issue. And I have to admit, I was a little nervous because I've never felt this vulnerable before. I wanted to be open and honest and talk about these struggles but I've never really done it before because of that priestly persona. But I don't care anymore. If it's going to help somebody, I don't care. People can make fun of me. Um, they can say, well, you know, you don't want to show that side of you. And it's like, well, that's who I am. Take it or leave it. Uh, I'm not afraid to show it. Um, you know, I've always been just a normal guy in the trenches. Um, you know, I, I, it doesn't really come across, but I have a sense of humor and I'm always joking around. And, you know, we. Oh, no, it does. It does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. You know, I, you're I was, right, laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I, you know, I just try to be a normal guy too. I know that the priesthood isn't something normal per se, but um, yeah, I want to be approachable. I'm not judging anybody. They can come to me. I mean, let's be honest. I've dealt with everything you can imagine, pretty much, all the way up to people that have murdered people. So I haven't. There's nothing I haven't probably heard. I mean, so I will listen to everybody, and I may not have the answer. 
but at least I can listen. I can shut up and <laughs> zip my mouth for a while, and let people vent if that's all I can do. And if they do need help, I'll try to point them in the right direction. And I've been trying to amass like therapists and people I know that are good. So I have referrals. I can say, look, this is a little bit out of my league. I don't really understand fully what you're going through. I will be there for you as a system of support. But also I have, you know, these people that maybe should reach out to one of these therapists who are really, really good that tried and tested. Um, or, you know, if it's even as a, as a priest, if I don't think I can handle it, you know, we can be prideful. So we have to be careful. I'll, I'll, I'll hand it off to another priest. It might be beyond what I can help with. The point is get that person help no matter what it is. Yeah. I think some of the, the most standout conversations that we've had on this show have been where people have just wanted to come on and, and, and talk and share their story. And, and often in those situations, Jesse and myself, just we're just there to listen and to just let them feel comfortable enough and vulnerable enough to open their hearts. And they've, they've often been, in, in, in my mind, some of the, the most important and productive conversations that we've had is Jesse and I kind of set up the show and, and then let the guests just share what they need to get off their chest. And, and we're just there to kind of encourage that story along. Um, and that for me is what it's all about is, as you say, listening, Sometimes that is the, the best approach is not necessarily offering advice, but just saying, well, tell me what's on your mind and allowing them the space to be heard. People are so quick to respond, but they don't authentically listen. And I think that's the problem. If we authentically listen, I'll tell you if I don't have an answer, I'll just be honest. Um, but the point is, let them get that out. And I think that, you know, not to judge anybody, but even a lot of my earlier struggles when I was trying to reach out, People had like, a, I didn't even finish my sentence and like they have a solution and it's not going to work. So we have to learn to listen properly and take those cues that maybe they don't want advice. Maybe they just want to vent. And I think that's what you're saying is very, very wise. Hmm. I, uh, I love that we've gone here with you. You know, it's, it's very easy to um, sort of know who you are, what you've been through and who you've worked with to, to talk about sort of the darker side of things. But it's been nice to hear you talk about the human side of things, you know, um, your dealings with your own self, but I can't let you off the hook. I've got to like dive a little bit into some of the spirituality in the darkness. Cause I'm so fascinated by that. Sure. So as we spoke, I, I was dealing with what I believe was an entity. Um, and off the top of my head, uh, I'd, I'd have to refer to your letter, but you know, there are methods, there are ways to deal with, the darker things, whether they're, you know, you want to call them demonic or, or whatever, what would be your advice for somebody or, you know, somebody who's struggling that they may actually be dealing with a dark spirit or a demon? What would you, what are the telltale signs? If, if anything, you could sort of anyone listening right now to tell them that they might be in danger or how do you deal with the darker element of the spiritual world? It's often very difficult because it's, it's hard to decipher, especially if it's not phenomena, what's mental health, what's not. Um, so you have to be very, very careful. And that's why I always try to engage um, the mental health professionals at the same time uh, to hopefully kind of screen out what's going on. Um, it's not always possible, but I try to make it always possible because it's so, uh, it's such a difficult topic because like I said earlier, you just want to help the people. So you don't want to fill their heads with something that it's not. You don't want to say demonic if it's not, especially if they're mentally unstable. Um, actually, I had somebody recently that called me 
and they were convinced they were going through something demonic. I wasn't really convinced, and I tried to steer them the other way. I said, it's certainly entirely possible, but I think really what you're going through is you know, your trauma and neglect, the things that you're bringing up in this conversation that you haven't been able to deal with. Let's start there, and then we'll go and see if there is something else to this. And I have no doubt because the demonic, they prey on our weakness. They, for the most people, they're not, you know, obviously they're not going to be throwing furniture around and all this stuff like you see on some of the cases. It's going to be more subtle via thoughts, temptations, um, steering us towards our passions. And I don't mean passions in a good way, like something we're passionate about. I'm talking about the unnatural impulses of the soul that like we try to cure in the church. That's, that's really what it is. Um, I always tell people the church is not a judge and a jury, just simple morality it's a, it's a place, it's a hospital for healing of the human person, body, mind, and soul. It's to make us become truly human and to be able to shed these inclinations, uh, shed the passions, repel the demonic, so we can have the light of God shining in us. So we cultivate the virtues instead of like these passions. Passions can be, you know, uh, lust, anger. There's, you know, literally probably 500 that have been named by the church fathers in various literature. Um, you can see them in the Holy Scriptures, some of the, the struggles of humanity. So we have to actively wage war against those things. However, when we start to actively get, uh, wage war, the demonic often will not sit by the wayside. They will tempt us. They'll find new ways to get at us. Um, you know, it, it's not uncommon for somebody that is perhaps uh, dealing with something. Maybe they're dealing with addiction or whatever it is, and they're trying to find help. And maybe they're sitting there one night. And they start praying and they're like, I, I have to find a solution for this. And they hear a small laughter. They hear something mocking them. They'll hear a voice, but it's outside of them. Mm. That's where I get a little concerned because is that mental health or is that something that's preying on them in their time of darkness? And that's what we have to try to decipher. Um, I'm very respectful of no matter what spiritual path people take. Um, but I don't feel that all spiritual paths are equal, um, especially when we're just self-guided. And I'm not saying like people have to be under my guidance. I'm talking about like the guidance of the church, the, the, the teachings, uh, the grace that's there, uh, the, the sacraments and mysteries that are there to help heal us. Like, for instance, when we receive Holy Communion, we believe it's the body and blood of Christ. Um, it unites us all together around that common chalice. No one's better than anybody else. We're all there around that and receiving this great spiritual food that will help us in our journey. I always tell people that if you go to church, I mean, we obviously there's other church services during the week, but on Sunday, it's kind of like the, the end and the start of your week. It surrounds the Eucharistic communion table because we're being fed spiritually. So it's not just, you know, you know, I'm not a televangelist. I'm not up there just talking. We have, for lack of a better term, a holy mystery or ritual that was given to us by Christ himself at the Last Supper to keep doing because he will feed us spiritually. So I work within, of course, my own framework. Um, it's what my understanding is, but I feel it's the, it's the best path. I, I wasn't born into this. I, I discovered it after much trial and error, but I'm not going to diss anybody that's on another path. But I do feel that, especially in dealing with the demonic, the greatest exorcist that ever lived was Christ. He told his disciples and followers, you will cast out demons. The first work he did publicly was cast out a demon because he came to undo the work of the evil one. We always forget that. He came 
the trample on, um, you know, the devil and his works, which are sickness, um, spiritual maladies, and ultimately death. Death is not natural. It's something that was introduced into creation by the fall of man. It was not part of God's plan. It's something by participating in the fall, we inherited death. That's what we believe. So our goal is to follow the path of Christ. When we're baptized in him in our tradition, we're baptized into his birth, death, and resurrection by being immersed three times in the waters. We come out as a new creation. And from there, St. John Chrysostom tells us that the devil, the evil one, no longer attacks the heart from the inside, but from the outside. It's an exorcism. That's what baptism is. So now we have the external temptations. And we have to uh, put a force field around us, so to speak, with grace. And that's done by prayer, communion with God, living the gospel by loving others, you know, doing those things to help others, whatever it may be with our talents. I think that's the best way to repel the demonic is to live that life of the gospel. People interpret it different ways, of course, and things like that. And, you know, I know people come from different backgrounds and stuff like that. That's why I'm very respectful of others and, and their particular journeys. But I've seen so many people healed, not by me, by God in the church. And I haven't seen a lot. Of, you know, I've seen some people that were healed, maybe their vision or demons were cast out, things like that. I've definitely seen that stuff, but it's very rare. But I've seen countless people that were suicidal, that were addicted, that had no purpose, that were in darkness. They found the light and their lives changed. It doesn't mean everything is going to be joyous and rosy. It's still going to be struggling. You're going to bear that cross, but you're on that path. And, and if, as long as you maintain that path towards true love, which I believe is the love that we find in God, if we so seek it, we can pass it on to others because we will be filled with that love. That's the best way to repel this stuff is to be a child of light, not a child of darkness. If we willfully participate in, you know, I know people get kind of mad about this. Some of my new age friends or some of my friends that maybe dabbled in the occult, we start dabbling in those subtle psychic realms. We're not prepared. We don't know what we're going to encounter. And it's very prideful us to prideful for us to mess in those realms because we will probably get the attention of the demonic. So I think it's, it's best we leave that stuff alone. We leave ghost hunting alone and like all that stuff and focus on our spiritual life and cultivating a spirit of love that we can transmit to others in this world. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think as a society we're further away now from all of these core values that you're talking about? Because earlier on you mentioned about purpose essentially being to be in service of of our fellow men and women. And, And I, you know, totally agree and I'm on board with that. But it feels like the culture that pervades through all humanity, well, at least Western, but probably as far-reaching as worldwide now, it's a lot more about the self, self self-serving, self-interest. That's capitalism being one leading light, not light. And then, I guess, social media and and the trends that we see on there. But it does feel like we're further away than ever from these kind of um, approaches to life that you're talking about. So is it too late to get back or are we, are we doomed Maximus? (laughs) My, my opinion, um, just kind of looking at society through my life, I'll be 45 this year. So I've been kind of watching it for a while and seeing the changes. um, And also, you know, reading the fathers, as I mentioned in the lives of the saints, 
I think this has always been a pervading thing in society. I mean, we have different um, problems going on in the world now, but if we look back 100 years, those problems. Um, now I, I do feel that those kind of core values that you mentioned um, are kind of going by the wayside. It's just my, my opinion. I think we're also bogged down in a lot of our devices and kind of this virtual world. And, um, you know, I feel like you know, things like Hollywood, they don't really cultivate the values perhaps that we want. It's more like, you know, look at me, I'm taking a selfie. And like, that's the spirit that I feel now that has really pervaded humanity. Um, and I don't think it's very, it's a good thing. Um, but there's still wonderful people out there. I see them all the time that are, that are putting love into others. Um, you know, I was just talking to one woman not that long ago. She goes down to the soup kitchen, serves meals. You can't get any more hardcore than that, in my opinion. Getting down there with the people, the drug addicts, the homeless, um, the people that are on the outskirts of society, people are afraid to go up to them. And you're serving them meals. You're sitting with them. You're washing their dishes. I saw that as like, that woman's unbelievable. Like to her, it doesn't, it's just what she does, but it comes from a place of love. And there's people like that all over the place. And I see them constantly. So I know that we're not doomed because the, even if there's only a few people that have light, they're going to, they're going to overtake the darkness, the darkness. We know how it ends. In my opinion, it's going to get squashed eventually. I mean, that's what our faith teaches us, but at the same time, yeah, we are in a kind of a fallen world and it is difficult, but that, true that true light and that love can never be completely stamped out um you know probably the best example i can give you is reading uh father roman he was actually uh in romania and he was put in basically a concentration camps back in the day he only reposed probably like 10 years ago and even in the concentration camps where there's no food people are dying they're being shot they're being turned into ice sculptures in the winter awful things there was those people, those prisoners that would share their loaf of bread with another prisoner. They would offer comfort to someone else, even though they were dying and covered with sores. There's always going to be those people that are filled with love, even in the worst circumstances. And those people are going to shine and bring that light into the darkness and tell the darkness to stuff it. You know, it's great. Um, and I feel that's, that's the hope that I have is that, you know, people are like that. And I see them constantly. So I'm reassured that even though it looks like everything is going off the rails, God is still in control, trust in his providence and his warriors are out there. His people that want to sow love, not division, who want to bring light, and not darkness are out there. And those are the people I try to learn from and align myself with so I can learn from them and also hopefully participate in some way. Mm. It's a beautiful thing, man. It's always nice to hear words of hope. And I think for anyone listening too, it's nice to hear, and this comes from me uh, being someone who was raised in the faith and has struggled with it, uh, even to this day, struggled with how I identify. But to hear you spell it out the way that you do is is just beautiful. It's so nice. I wish there were, and I know there are, but it's nice to hear that there's someone like you that is able to do that and put it out in such a way where it doesn't feel intimidating. It feels very welcoming. You know, and I think religion, organized religion gets a bad rap. I mean, clearly a lot of horrible things have been done in the name of God, but people so like yourself, should, should right. <laughs> um, I'm not going to deny that. But people like yourself, um, I think your voice needs to be amplified. People need to know that it isn't what it's portrayed to be in, like you said, media or, um, you know, social media or even people who have had 
uh, bad experiences with religion, there's always people like yourself. And I love that. And you inject that hope to say that, you know, we all know how it ends. I love that. It makes me really happy. It's like, no matter what, you know, good will prevail. And I do believe that in my heart of hearts. So it, even in my darkest moments, when I think about my mortality or the struggles and trials that I see around me on a daily basis, I do believe the good guys will win, if you will. And I love, I love that. And that's something I champion regardless of, like you said, religious affiliation, what people may or may not think is that good will prevail. And I love that. One of the, um, great saints that we have, St. Paisios, who only died, I believe it was 1996. Um, he used to live on Mount Athos, which is a peninsula in Greece. And it's basically, um, it's, it's a hub of many monasteries and skeets where it's only men. Uh, it's not very accessible. It's very hard to get there. You have to get a certain paperwork to even go visit. And these, these men live there as men of prayer for their entire lives. It's harder to get into that peninsula than it is to Harvard University. And these are monks that like labor, you know, for the world through, for prayer. And St. Paisios, who lived, I believe, by himself, just in a little, like, mountain cave, if you will, there, you know, when he's holy elders, um, people would approach him from time to time. Uh, he became very popular for his wisdom, um, his godly wisdom. And one of his spiritual children came up to him and said, you're being stressed by being in the world and seeing all the corruption, you know, rumors of wars, uh, famine, earthquakes, all the things that we fear. And he said to him, very simple, and we have to remember that St. Paisios was a priest. He had no education that I know of. I think he was uh, in the military. Um, he was very simple, but so wise with knowledge of God. Um, he said to him, essentially, if I didn't know how it ended, I'd be driven crazy. But I know the devil and his works are going to be stomped out. And I know that in Christ, he has no chance. He's already been defeated, technically. And that gave him hope to not worry about anything anymore, to put it in God's hands. And his spiritual son left in peace. He basically mm -hmm. understood what he meant, saying, we know how it ends. We have to labor. We have to carry our cross. There's going to be tough times. But there's times of joy, and we get glimpses of that light. We get glimpses of the love of people have for one another. It is that godly love. There's no darkness that can stamp that out at all. Love it. Can I, before we let you go, Maximus, ask you uh, your thoughts on a couple of our recent episodes? Um, okay. Not not fishing for compliments, just I'd be really interested to you know kind of gauge your take on some of the recent stories. One being Lyman, um, mm -hmm. the fighter. Uh, another being Brittany, the tattoo artist, and another being Chuck Reagan. I don't know if you heard any of those or or, or what. I, I, I didn't. I didn't hear uh, the uh, Chuck Reagan yet. I didn't hear that one, so I caught pieces of the other ones. Any uh, parts of their stories make you think about any certain topics that we've been discussing today in terms of you I, know I can, hope and survival and love? and? Yeah, I mean, hope is always – that's always a, a clutch word for me is hope because it doesn't matter where we are. If it's we're, Say we're struggling with addictions, there's hope. If we're struggling with depression or mental illness, there's hope. If we're in spiritual darkness, there's hope. We have to always keep that in mind. Because like I mentioned before, tomorrow's a new day. If we have the hope, for me, it's the hope of the resurrection. Um, that's where my hope truly is, the resurrection, um, obviously because of Christ and what he's done for us. That's my hope. But people need to have that because that's, I think, 
what I'm starting to see being stamped out in the world. Not only I, I see there's love there, but I think hope people, especially the younger generation, it seems like they don't have like a, a compass. They don't have, um, and I'm not saying, no, I'm not trying to stereotype, but I think it's such a confusing world we live on in now that I think they are losing hope. I've talked to many young folks that they have no direction. They're not sure where to go. They're confused by the world. Some young people are concerned. They don't even think the world's going to be here, you know, in say 20 years because of wars or climate change. So they just feel like their lives are going to come to a crashing end. And that scares me because people, when they get in that mindset, if you have no hope, how do you get out of that? If you truly believe there's no hope for humanity, or there's no way you can get out of that darkness. We have to have hope. Um, I see that a lot, unfortunately, with people with addictions. And um, my father was an addict. I don't know if I mentioned that on the first episode or not. I don't think I did. No, I don't think so, no. Uh, so I, I, I kind of know that song and dance a little bit, uh, even though he was quite estranged. So when I was really, really young, um, my father in the, in the streets of Worcester, unfortunately, got hooked on heroin. Um, back then, especially, I mean, I was born in 78. So from 78 till the time he reposed in 1992, there wasn't all the resources we had now. If you were a heroin addict, you just had to take them and lock them in a room and hope that they didn't die and get them sober. And then typically they'd relapse. And unfortunately, that's just the way it was back then. We didn't have all the resources. And luckily, I was sheltered from a lot of that stuff because my mother was not like that at all. Um, they actually you know, had to get a divorce and things like that. But wow. I saw even my own father, like he would rob us. Um, if you go to my mom's house to this day, she has jail cell bars on her back window still because he would actually change the locks and he would come and smash the windows and come steal everything. And, you know, he eventually died actually of AIDS uh, from needle use um, in 1992 as I was starting high school. And I think seeing that affected me because I felt like he had no hope. And I just, I, I don't think, like I said, the resources, the community, the family didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and it just perpetuated it to the point of his demise. And I think that's what fueled me to say, I will never give up on somebody. Because if you can just give them hope one more day or extend a hand when they need it, perhaps that's the life preserver they need to carry on to that next day. Um, so those experiences and seeing that, I think also open my mind to people that do get into that cycle of no hope. And it's a, it's a secular thing. And if they don't get out of it, it's going to take them down. Um, so that's always my concern. Um, and, you know, I learned seeing that, unfortunately, um, even though, like I said, I was sheltered from a lot of it. Um, you know, even so bad where he was estranged that at the time of his death, I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. So I found out after the fact. Mm. So it's truly, um, humbling experience and um, definitely changed my perspective on a lot of things, even at a young age. And quite honestly, like with the hardcore tie-in is probably what pushed me into the straight age movement, quite honestly, um, being a fan of heavy music and then having a father who was such an addict and then finding out that on my dad's side, like you know, seeing others in the family that had such horrendous addiction issues, it's almost like I was pushed into the straight age movement to keep me safe from going off the rails. And then I remember when I broke my edge, <laughs> I like that break your edge. I haven't heard that term in a while. Um, I was very careful because when I probably was probably like 
21 or so when I had my first drink, I made it quite far um, from, you know, from the time a lot of my friends started drinking 13, 14. Um, and I could see a little bit of that in myself, kind of like maybe that mindset or if it's genetic or whatever it is. I said, all right, I got to be really careful here. And I think that's when, you know, after your basic partying and stuff like that, I just kind of, it kind of gave it up, if you will, because um, I wanted to give myself hope. Because uh, as I mentioned, you know, I wanted to help others and things like that. And I figured if I went down that road, I don't know if I'd be able to return, you know, uh, especially that young and not having the right guidance per se and, and things like that. Um, you know, it was a real, it was a real eye-opening uh, part of my life. Uh, something, you know, it's, in, it's in my mind and always will be, but I think now it's, it's not something I feel terrible about, uh, you know, seeing what my poor father had to go through. It's more, I can use that as a tool to help others. I'm not, I was never an addict, so I can't relate to an addict per se, but having a father who's an addict, it breaks the ice and then we can sit down and talk about it. Um, you know, even when I was taking courses in substance abuse, um, you know, I was always kind of the outcast because most of the professors and all the students were former addicts that wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of looked at as kind of an outcast because I didn't have uh, that history with me. And then once I started to tell them why I'm in this field, I don't think I'm going to save everybody, change the world. Um, based on my experience with my father, I just want to be there as a, a life preserver for others and help get them treatment. Um, you know, as a, being a priest, I, I wanted to learn more so I could understand the language of addiction and what the people are going through, understand the tr treatments that are out there, and then help with the referral process. I think that was uh, a great, great thing for me to uh, culminate my life after seeing the addiction of my father and seeing how I could take that experience, turn it into something positive to hopefully help others, I guess is what I'm trying to say in probably the longest way possible. <laughs> no, no, it's great. And the, the honesty and, um, you know, the, the fact that you shared that with us is, is appreciated. And, um, yeah, it's definitely um, insightful to learn that about you and it makes sense i think in a lot of a lot of ways for me to see what you've been through and where you are and what you do and um yeah i think that a lot of people who have family members as opposed to themselves say partners parents children that go through that um i think it's always valuable to hear somebody else in a similar position share their thoughts and and as you say turning it into a positive if you can I know it's hard for a lot of people. And it's like, well, if somebody loses their life to that, how can that ever be a positive thing? But there has to be something we can glean from it, right? Again, in the interest of hope and, and trying to better ourselves and those around us. Absolutely. Beautiful stuff, man. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, heavy stuff to go through as a kid. But I think the enduring message that I keep hearing is, you know, uh, obviously hope, which was just mentioned, but, you know, at the end, things will work out. It's going to be okay. And I think in these times that we're living through right now, especially the younger generation needs to know more about that hope and that fact that, you know, the good guys will win in the end. And they don't always wear white. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. Sometimes good guys don't wear white. <laughs> That's a great way to end it right there. I love that. There you go end on the tune maximus you're a gentleman and uh i'm so happy that this this show has brought you into our lives and um i'm sure a lot of people who are kind of you know either in the kind of inner circle or periphery wherever they 
exist. Uh, I know that the love for Maximus runs deep in various factions of the Stoke the Fire community, and you are um, you're an honorary member. And Thank you. Uh, yeah, nothing but love. Really appreciate it. Now, it's always a pleasure talking with you guys. Um, and I know you're there too. It's like you said, it's a community. Um, there's others in the community that reach out to me, and you know, I'll be there for them as well, the best I can. Um, you're doing a wonderful thing here. And as I said on the first podcast, to me, it's almost you have a, a, a ministry of sorts and giving people a platform to tell their stories that are only going to help other people. That's the amazing part about it all. Yeah, it's nice to be back on the wagon. And um, I think we should try and do a live event again at some point. At some point, Jesse. I know. I agree. I agree. Schedules I think... permitting. Even if it's just New York again, I feel like New York's a pretty good base for a lot of people to... Mm. I mean, there's nowhere where everybody can come that's going to be easy for everybody because obviously people listen from all over. But yeah, I got so much out of that night and I saw so many friendships cement. And uh, yeah, it's time for another. Finishing out the night with Vinny Stigma. Unbelievable. <laughs> Vinny Stigma and you together on stage. That's me and Jesse have spoken about that often. That's a mo. Hey, five! That's a, that's a moment that will always live with me as one of my proudest moments in life. Just facilitating that meeting of minds and yeah, watching that unfold was incredible. I just got word uh, from one of my friends. I see Agnostic Front uh, and Rancid are playing down Boston uh, this fall. So I'm going to try to get down uh, to see Agnostic Front. If uh, my health issues aren't in the way, I'd love to see, uh, see them rip up the stage again. It's been a while. So um, yeah, he, that was so cool to meet him and, um, you know, like I said, I met Jesse Hubbard, I met the hope dealer, you know, I got to meet purple who was my favorite guest at that time. So like, it was just so cool to like, you know, these people that you hear on the show, you actually, you know, bump elbows with them and talk and you know, have a drink or whatever. And, um, you know, Jesse, I got to talk with your friend, Jeff, that owns uh, the bar. Uh, he was really just a, such a cool guy. Um, so like, I, I feel like I made friends that night and, um, you know, lasting relationships and, um, you know, that, that was, that was incredible. Gents. Thank you for reintroducing the show in a glorious fashion. Yes. And uh, until next time, keep the fires stoked. Thank you, All Father. Right. Pleasure. All right. Talk to you guys soon. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.